0: Welcome to Travelog, the podcast from Con and As Traveller. I'm Mark Elwood, happy Friday. Today we have got another installment of our trip planning franchise. You know that, that's basically where you get to pick all of our brains about a particular destination. It's like a live guide to going to a place and all of our wisdom, as much wisdom as we claim to have at least, packed into that episode. We've already covered everything from New Orleans to Sydney. We've done Tokyo, we've done your first safari. You can find all those past episodes in our archive. But today we are heading to Europe and specifically to London, which obviously for the day after Thanksgiving makes total sense. I know, we didn't plan this. Um, I hope you've eaten your fill, I hope you've shopped your fill because we're gonna talk about travel. And obviously to talk about London, I'm British and we've got to have some British people, some people who've lived in London, to brain dump about the capital. So I want to introduce you to a couple of people you should know and then we have a brand new team member. So I have Erin Florio. Hello. Lala Arikoglu. Hello. And then I have our brand new global editor-in-chief in in from London, Melinda Stevens. Hi there. (laughs) So... Some of you long-term listeners might realize this is a bit of a sequel. I have to say, this is the Empire Strikes Back of podcasts to an episode that Lale and I taped two years ago, right?
1: It was my first ever podcast. And as Mark pointed out, I was quite quiet and didn't speak that much. Oh, there must have been a lot of pressure
2: on you being the token. Oh, I guess not the only token. Sorry, Mark. It was not the
0: only token for the table. (laughs) I've been here 20 years, but I'm still British. Um, But yes, and... That episode does still hold up. We talked about Brick Lane and Whitechapel as great for hole-in-the-wall cafes. And we talked about Selfridges' shoe department. (laughs) Essential. It is essential. (laughs) Would you agree, Melinda? You just arrived. Where do you rank Selfridges' shoe department in the world's shoe departments?
3: I have to say, I think Selfridges' is amazing. I sometimes try and resist department stores. But every time you go to Selfridges, it takes it on another level because it's just a rather elevated editorial experience they do it as a kind of show and they get a lot of interesting people in to collaborate with so from everything from their window displays to how they present the stores and the restaurants they get involved are
0: just at top level there's a wonderful book called shopping seduction and mr selfridge which was the basis of a recent tv series talking about how selfridges really invented the amazing department store But again, we're going to dive much deeper than that last episode. You can tee that up a couple of years ago. Don't worry if you can't jot down everything we say. We will flag everything we're going to mention in the show notes, so you'll have a link to those. So you can just sit back and relax. Okay, ladies, I want to ask, first of all, I want to talk about, say, people are arriving in London for the first time or they're planning a trip right at the beginning. That's what this is about. Where should someone think about staying in terms of areas... And what hotels are the standouts in those areas? Do you want to start? Erin's like, okay. right, let uh, me there, start. This is
2: like such a loaded yeah. question because there's so many answers to this question. I, I'm going to act on the assumption that this would be your first time to London, or if not your first, maybe your second. Obviously, the natural place to stay is the center of London. You can get everywhere. London, you know, it's a lot like New York in a lot of ways, and it's very different in that it's massive. So where you stay in London is almost more key than where you stay if you come to a city like New York. The default is central, and that's always been where some of the great hotels are. The Savoy, which is a legendary hotel, is in the center. You've got areas like Marlebone and Mayfair in the center. And actually, one of my favorite hotels, and I'm not sure if Melinda will agree, but I love it just because as a token non-Brit at this table, I think it is so delightfully British, is the Zetter Townhouse. And they have one in Clerkenwell, and they have one in, um, in Marlebone as well. And it's just so whimsical, and it's got s- such a fun narrative.
0: Why do you love it?
2: They've basically created this entire narrative over this fictitious character. The one in uh, Marlebone is after this character called Uncle Seymour. And Uncle Seymour has sort of you know, been this great world explorer. He's come back from all of his travels, and they've got the f- most fun, knick-knacky stuff all over the rooms, and the bar is great. And it's just, it's a ton of fun. It's one of those hotels where you run the risk of not going out and exploring <laughs> London because you want more time
3: in the hotel.
0: So if we talk about Marlebone, what do you guys think about Marlebone as a good base?
3: I just, I can't get away from Marylebone at the moment because it's a classic high street, which is doing what you want the classic high street to do well, which is independent, quirky, characterful, but high end stores that are very alluring. And it's in an interesting part of town because it's surrounded by Harley Street and some other <laughs> doctors and poor people, <laughs> poorly people. But um, So what Maryle you're bon- saying is you
0: can come for <laughs> plastic surgery and a new purse.
3: You can fix your bottom and then get a delicious <laughs> pair of shoes. But Marylebone over the last few years has just got stronger and stronger. And that's coupled with some really amazing restaurants. So that makes it pretty winning.
0: Where do we sit on the Chilton Firehouse?
3: Do you know I was going to lead into that? Because, again, that area around Chilton Firehouse was nothing, let's say, four years ago before Chilton Firehouse arrived. And now it has completely shot up overnight. It's had that kind of radiating effect. And now, again, it has lots of independent, interesting boutique stores. You know, the firehouse... What to say about it, it's rammed every night. And there are people spilling out of it every night and often into the dawn. And the restaurant is so good.
1: And it's still really good Such fabulous people spotting as well. Mm.
3: They have something in the restaurant, which I have to say, I find really distressing, which is the crab... Donut. Oh, and those two words for me do not go together.
0: What do they do to the donuts? Put a crab? Is it like they put a little (laughs) sliced up desiccated crab in the tiny donut?
3: And the first time I went, people were going crazy about all the food, Mm. and I felt like it was a slightly Empress New Clothes moment because I was like, "That's the strangest thing I've ever eaten." But the puddings were delicious.
0: Okay, so we say Marlborough. So we've got Marlborough as one potential neighbourhood. What other neighbourhood would you take us to as a base?
3: I just want to add quickly that
1: Marlebone High Street is home to, I think, the best bookshop in London. Oh, which amen. Is Daunts Sorry. Dawn's <laughs> Books. And it has the most fantastic travel section. It is not only beautiful, but it is this whole floor that's just arranged by country. So you can go and find a travel book for Russia, but you can also find a copy of Dr. Zhivago in the same section. And it is just a magical place that you can lose yourself in for hours. And if you're doing Christmas shopping in London, it's also, I think, a must Oh, I feel Stop. like it's
0: like an Edwardian. It's like stepping back in time to like the 30s where you feel like they were this fabulous wood panel bookstore that some very eccentric old lady would have run. Hmm. And you'd say to her, I need a book on Russia. She'd be like, I know
1: exactly
3: the thing. <laughs> and you can hear the floorboards creaking when you're in there, which oh. I almost just think is really... Do you know an area that's having a bit of a moment again, which was a kind of no man's land about two years ago, which is King's Cross, which is known for its train station and not much else besides... And one of the great British architects of our times, Thomas Heatherwick, has designed... A new space called Coal Drops Yard. It used to be where literally the trains used to come from around the country and deliver the coal that would heat people's houses that they would use in their fires. And I think he's designed this area, much of which is open, uh, and now Fresco has a kind of response to what's happening to the retail market and to the high streets themselves. And I think it's garnered huge interest because people are trying to work out whether there can be a 21st century response to, to internet shopping. Shopping. And the design of itself is rather amazing. There's these two kind of huge cantilevered spaces that kind of arch over the main shopping bit and almost kind of meet each other in a kiss. It's dramatic. It's surrounded by a kind of industrial space, so that gives it a kind of certain drama. You can feel in London that there, there's a kind of neighbourhood pressure. People are feeling the need to focus on the quality of the stores that they have in situ. And it was buzzing when I went, and it's, and it's still a work in progress. So I mean,
0: that it, was, was interesting. it was a sh- when I- I was growing up and i grew up very nearby in fitzrovia and it was a shabby sort of hooker-laden red light district oh, rail terminus King's right? Cross, yeah. up
2: until like 15 years mm. ago i'd say i'd, it's I'd say still more still more like 10 years, yeah I, I remember they started developing it sort of slowly like maybe five or six years ago in a major way and really trying to introduce i mean they correct me if i'm wrong but they've moved google and and, and some of those big companies around that
1: area they did London that now, right? a google while so. ago Are they also St. Martin's Art School moved there. Right. And I think that was really that was what a kicked everything off. Yeah. And it also means that while this new development like, could risk feeling a bit like a mall, it doesn't because you have all these cool art students walking around and That's drinking, and you've great restaurants that have opened up. And the way they use the
2: space outside of St. Martin's is so great as well. When the weather is nice, they have so many fun pop-up bars in that massive and granary square, and then leading down to onto the canal, which is right there as well. It's such a fun area to be in when the weather is nice in London. And when the weather is nice in London, mm-hmm. London is the funnest town in the world. It's and just also, got this amazing infectious l- energy. Let's remember,
0: no open container rules in London. Drinking so on the if you want to drink yes. outside a pub, you can. No one will give you a ticket. I mean, the best oh thing
3: about <laughs> <laughs> drinking I mean, and smoking cigarettes on the streets. <laughs> Lolly's parents it's listening to this. Like, I'm so
0: sorry, Lolly's parents who are listening, and she's like, "The best thing is the pubs outdoors."
3: <laughs> I mean, been talking about life happening outdoors, and um, and again, those places that have CD reputations, or you know, maybe their reputations are overcooked. But I was just in Soho again recently with my 16-year-old daughter, and it's it's. Bonkers and barking Soho right now, but my god in terms of vibe and energy you just cannot beat it There are people just pouring out like lava out of every (laughs) pub, club, spot, drinking den, newsagent and and then you find some real jewels within it. There's a place where I, I took my daughter to called Lina's Stores. It was a, it's been a deli forever and ever yes. and ever, like a great Italian. And deli. then the the pasta that we ate there was the most delicious, buttery sage parcels of delight that uh, I and so that I forced them to put it in silver foil at the end which was not their policy and then we, we I wrapped everything up I ordered more and more stuff just so I could wrap it up and which, take it Which can
0: home. we say in Britain is quite bold in America getting something to go not a big deal in Britain <laughs> persuading a restaurant to let you take food away that takes yes, quite a lot of effort.
3: I know. And they looked at me aghast and they got out their cling film and they got out like a basket. I mean, <laughs> it all got incredibly confusing. They silently judged you, didn't they? But they, <laughs> they did. But they
0: did it anyway. And <laughs> um, what I would say about King's Cross, one thing I did want to point out, if you're doing a multi-city getaway to Europe... Obviously King's Cross is where the Eurostar terminus is now. So if you're looking to go on to continental Europe, to Amsterdam, to Brussels, to Paris, it's actually a very practical place to be based because it's very easy to get to your train. So I think that's... Mm. So I wanna, I wanna move us on from some of those recommendations to a hot right now. Is it all about East London? Do I still have to be in Shoreditch and Whitechapel? What do you think?
1: Uh, Aaron and I were talking about this before the episode started because the places that are hot I still don't quite know whether I'd actually recommend a visitor to go to.
2: Places like Peckham which are really interesting for people that live in London and kind of the New East London but I don't know if I would if I would recommend you have to prioritize that on your first or second trip into London. But that is where a lot of like the cool young galleries and gallerists are heading to to open up. There's really good food happening. All of those sort of hallmarks of like the next great neighborhood in a great urban city like a New York or a London, that's all happening in Peckham. And has been for a couple of years. For a while.
0: Where is Peckham? It's south
1: of the river. So it's basically <laughs> Another country, in, as in far L- as I'm concerned. I just
2: have to clarify: in London, you pick a side. You're either a North Londoner or you're a South Londoner. Um, it's very
0: divided that way geographically. were we, we all born north of the river? Are we all? We are born
3: north of the river, but also, of course, you've got your north and your south. You've got your west and your east. And I, I have to say, I'm a, I'm a, south west girl. But I'm not sure that that's the right side to be on in this war. I'm, I'm <laughs> because there's another part of me. Every time I go east, I just cannot believe the Georgian architecture i cannot believe the amazing people doing amazing things and if i was to pick up sticks and start all over again if i was 25 all over again east 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 and if i wasn't living in new york i would live east
2: and and i have to say just to stir the pot a little bit Um, I am not British born, but I did live in London for a number of years and I go back very often. But I was a dedicated North London supporter. I really love not not, you know, the Camden High Street areas, but there are such gorgeous, really quintessentially British places that you can reach in London that are in the north. I lived in a place called Kentish Town which is part of the borough of Camden. And that's where you're going to find these extraordinary old pubs and literary pubs. And
0: like where? Send someone to your so old So the boozer. Sethic
2: Arms is an incredible pub. The Pineapple is amazing. It's just so quirky and strange and, ama- and, and just interesting. I mean, because it's so close to Camden, which in the 70s was you know where the sex pistols were coming out of and you had all these sort of crazy out there punk movements happening, you still get... Every now and then you'll walk into these pubs and you'll still get these old like punks that are clearly in their 70s and have dyed purple hair. And it's just there's just there's just such a factor to it that you don't find in the rest of London that I find incredibly charming. And you've also got beautiful parks up there.
0: Like what? What what park would you recommend? What's a lovely sort of North London park? So
2: the largest park is, why am I forgetting the name? Hampstead Heath. Thank you.
0: They're all great, but why do you like, because I think so Hampstead Heath is Hampstead, a very, very London It's thing.
2: amazing because you walk into Hampstead Heath and it is massive and you can get in from all these different entrances. But there are parts of the Heath that you feel like you're in the British countryside. They're lined by these country manors and you're really still in the middle of the city. And they have these beautiful swimming ponds and there's just so much diversity in the way it's been landscaped.
3: Yes, it's still pretty wild. Yeah. And then you can look out from your vantage point over the city, and that gives you that feeling of separation and that feeling of calm. And you know it's 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 scrubby and wild land, so it's kind of exciting for that reason.
0: I think Hampstead Heath is a lovely place. I think it's not necessarily on many visitors' itineraries. And it's a shame, because yes, you want to stroll through Regent's Park, that's beautifully manicured. But Hampstead Heath does feel like a chunk of the countryside that was sort of ripped out of the ground and dumped in a very sort of tony part of London, surrounded by these big mansions. And it It feels so untouched.
2: Yeah, it still feels like that. That's why I really enjoy it. And Parliament Hill is one of the greatest vantage points in Hampstead Heath. So if you go there, actually on a Saturday, they have a beautiful farmer's market and you can pick up food and just have
1: these beautiful views over the city. They also have an ice rink at Christmas. Mm.
2: Good
0: Can can you skate? I must admit, (laughs) you can judge me for this, but skating is like activity tofu for me. I've tried it in every way and every place I can, and I just can't get the hang of it.
3: And also it's not very attractive to look at if you can't do it really well. A grown man face-planting
0: on an ice ring. I will stand and hold your hot dog. I'm more
1: disturbed by the grown adults that are surprisingly skilled at it and I'm like when did you find the time to learn this?
0: <laughs> Who has ice skating I do as a this hobby? once
1: every five years.
0: So where else? We've got a couple of neighbors. We're talking about Peckham which is South London. We've talked about really way north. Pick, Let's let's pick another place that isn't necessarily instantly on someone's. Where would you send people Lala?
1: I would send them to Dalston and I would say Stan Shoreditch which is a little bit more central but is easy to get to Dalston where again you have like a lot of cool bars and cool like new restaurants that have opened it's very much if you're thinking of like new york comparisons which feels unimaginative to constantly compare the two cities but it is a sort of williamsburg bushwick equivalent i'd say maybe more on the bushwick side it's a little grimier than williamsburg but you also have these like beautiful georgian houses again wonderful walks and then you can also um If you carry on up through Dalston, you can end up in Stoke Newington, which is just a nice place to spend like an afternoon and have like a pub lunch on a Sunday.
2: Where do
0: I stay in Shoreditch? If I stay in Shoreditch and where do I eat in Dalston?
1: I love the Hoxton.
2: I was going to say my favorite hotel in Shoreditch is still the Hoxton. I love it. I still, every time I go back to Shoreditch and I'll stay elsewhere, I always gravitate back to that bar. It's always it's
0: always packed with people. And the little breakfast bags. I just love every, it. Yeah,
2: it's lovely. And, you know, Shoreditch has a lot of good hotels. They have everything from the Ace to Nobu now. So, I mean, they have this huge sort of runs the gamut of different places you can stay.
0: So, where okay, Aaron, where do we eat in Shoreditch? If we're staying in Shoreditch, where do we, where do These we eat? These
2: days, I would recommend Lyles, actually, if you sort of like that Fergus Henderson approach to British cooking and you want the sort of new modern version. The chef is great and young. It's a really clean, beautiful space. There's a ton of great restaurants in Shoreditch, though.
0: What street should I base my... If I'm wandering around Shoreditch where should I start out? Should I go to Shoreditch High Street Station? What do you think is a good kickoff for my wander round? Because that's where I'd send people.
1: I always actually, if I'm going to be heading into Shoreditch, I often get off the central line at Liverpool Street and then walk through Spitalfields. You go from it feeling very much like the financial center of London to feeling like some sort of Dickensian time warp within a few streets. And there's even a pub on a corner that Jack the Ripper supposedly liked to Lurk around. <laughs> um, that looks exactly long. so. It it. it is the same as you imagine it did then. That is
0: the only downside of that neighbourhood. You'll see lots of tour groups and they're all on Ripper tours. Yeah, and that's- (laughs) Like all of them. (laughs) Not
1: to discuss on this podcast, but it is a little problematic. I
0: mean, I just don't understand how that's what you want to see. I get that you might want to see Victorian London or the rundown, how this was, you know, what was it like? But do we really want to focus on Jack the Ripper? And also, do we believe everything they're telling us for another podcast? One
1: of my very favourite things to spot in Shoreditch, which is very, this is very narrow. Um, but if you're a fan of art, and you like the artist Gilbert and George, you Love. sometimes see them shuffling around the neighbourhood in their matching suits together, and they go to the same kebab shop every night for dinner, and it's always really fun to spot them walking around. It feels very East London.
0: And I always look for Kira Knightley, who also lives on a street-side uh, house on Fournier Street, and literally just lives in a house and hangs out in the neighbourhood. She has nice shutters on her window so you can't see in. But I love how ordinary it is that she's just among the hoi polloi.
2: Stars, they're just like us.
0: (laughs) Even British stars. Okay, Melinda, I want to pull you in because I want to talk about afternoon tea. And you're the one who lives in London full time. Is it terrible? Is afternoon tea a cliche that we should avoid? Should we be ashamed of wanting to do it?
3: Do you know, I, I would like to say that we can resist it. But on the UK website the best afternoon teas in London are one of the most popular pages and at the beginning when I started as editor I I wanted to kind of put a big red pen through that Um, but it depends how and where you want to do it so for example it's an old classic but the Ritz there's still something about the Ritz, and I don't know whether it's its name in lights, you know, those bulbs that still flash off Green Park and as you come into Piccadilly. And particularly at Christmas time, and you go into, and it's got that thick, swirly carpet, and there's a tree that's festooned with every kind of bow and bauble. And you can be kind of above it, but it's irresistible. There's a kind of. You know, hardcore twinkle, if you can say that. It bombs you with its hardcore twinkle. and and that tea room is booked up. From dawn till dusk with people tucking into
0: fat scones. But will you be, this is, because I think this is the challenge. As a visitor, if you book in for afternoon tea, are you literally just sitting around other other visitors? Is it sort of this I weird know. experience? I, what do you think?
3: I, I think there probably is part of that. Listen, the, the afternoon teas that I'm going to know about are the ones that are more more traditional. The Barclay has one where they do, uh, which is a kind of younger more dashing hotel and they do fun collaborations with um, fashion designers so that the tea biscuits are made you know are made to look like the, these person's clothes or oh, that's or tea, yes right. tea exactly um, but I can guarantee there are amazing teas happening around town that are of a cooler edgier vibe but again go, just going back to neighbors as well and, and teas and I was going to say this I just find I still find carriages really irresistible and I think there's something about walking into that Art Deco lobby. And then there's something about the china. There's green and white stripy china. I mean, I'm there for breakfast rather than tea, but it's very special. But that is also, you know, Mayfair is a, good, is a central place that you were talking about, Erin. From there, yes, you've got lots of traditional aspects of of the grander parts of london radiate around there but also worth checking out is mount street now which again was was five or six years ago was not very much what's happening on it and now houses a lot of the more successful home dyed british designers and it's a corner of the connaught so you'll find christopher kane you'll find roxander you'll find stella mccartney it's got an old fashioned and yet modern modern vibe to it that I think is if you're looking for a more standard fare, that's Those good buildings, quality.
0: the buildings on yeah. Mount Street. It's. I mean, I. I hate to be reductive, but mm-hmm. if you want a great Instagram picture of London at Christmas, yeah. Mount Street with the Christmas tree. Yes, just when dusk is falling, is hardcore twinkle.
3: And, and also, just my God, continuing with hardcore mm-hmm. twinkle. I feel like this you, is a theme. As you walk down Mount Street, there's the Connaught which is a, a sister hotel to Claridges, etc. But kind of maybe more secretive or more tucked away. There's a little side entrance into a very hardcore twinkly bar the lighting was done by david collins and it's it's pocket sized it's not big but it has um it's a great place for a dry martini
0: is that what I have there? Gin, yes. Martini or vo- where do we sit? Gin or vodka?
3: Vodka, definitely. And mm, and you I? stop at three and then you do not get on your moped and you do not drive home. <laughs> That's
0: very sound <laughs> advice. I feel like you learned that first hand.
3: Did you learn that the hard way?
0: <laughs> the um okay, if we talk about teas, ladies, do you have any favorite tea spots?
2: Um well for high teas, so this is you know, and and we might need to fact check this, how long it's going to stay open because Dandelion in the Mondrian is closing, which is very sad because it was a very popular bar for the past couple of years, but they, the bartender there did a, a cocktail version of high tea mm. where he paired all of the different plates coming out that you would traditionally get with high tea with an original cocktail. And I could be, I believe all of them were sort of bespoke for the day, for the people that were in there. And so that was just a really nice sort of modern twist. And, and also that bar is a really, really beautiful space because you can see all the river life on the Thames.
0: The wanderings where exactly? <laughs>
2: It's in South Bank, which is walking distance from places like Borough Market and um, the tapes
3: and the, all the theatres down and there St.
0: Paul's like if you're doing a sort of classic itinerary to St. Paul's that kind of thing yeah, crossover it's the
3: Haywood Tate Modern yeah. all of those good galleries quite brutalist architecture but mm-hmm. I think the South Bank in general has just it, got tons of stuff mm-hmm. going on now
2: yeah I was going to list that actually as one of the places that might be sort of on the app in terms of things that are going in there and they've just got this really fabulous new hotel which I'm very excited to go and stay at the next time I'm in London called Bankside which just feels very bright and cheery and almost like the, the The designer is a Southern California movie designer, and she's just done the most amazing thing with the space. And you really sort of feel, in a non kitschy way, like you're in this sun kissed version of California right on South Bank And it's, it, it's 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 full impressive.
3: of fun art, joyful yeah. art. It's got a lot of energy, and they have um, amazing vending machines in the corridors, so you can buy tons of bottles of booze, and you can also buy sequin pair of pants. And rolls
1: royce This is also a first-hand coloured.
0: story. I feel like this is a first-hand story like the vodka martinis, where you're like, you can buy an emergency pair of sequined pants if you need them. It's
3: very comforting to know that they're there. They're
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, just to steer us back before we go down a whole other track, I was going to say, I wrote the uh, afternoon tea guide for the Traveler US site um, and I would, so obviously it's amazing, but I would I would encourage you there. I think some of the more old-fashioned teas, you might find yourself seated by a lot of other very excited visitors, which is fine. Some of the newer ones, like Dandelion or Mr. Fogg's, which is a, a sort of eccentric gin bar, where you essentially have cocktails with your tea, mm. that cocktails in the middle of the afternoon is not only more delicious, but I think it's quite contemporary British, do you think? I mean, I'm getting a lot of nodding where I'm like, day drinking, I think you can feel less guilty about.
3: Mm, there's no guilt. That's day drinking is just standard
2: In fact They just call it drinking in Britain Yes can call it I, it I, I just found <laughs> out that
3: this expression day drinking
0: exactly. Melinda's like what are you talking about day drinking It's just drinking. 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 I'm awake
1: drinking I also wanted to say that if you were on the South Bank I would suggest ditching the idea of afternoon tea And instead crossing the bridge to an embankment And going to Gordon's Wine Bar Which is one of my favourite places in London it's, um, Why? Why? It is the oldest wine bar, or so it claims, in the city, and it is extremely cavernous. You go down these very narrow steps, and it's sort of carved underground, and there's these big stone arches, and all the tables have little candles on them, and it has a very extensive cheese menu, which means that it's very pungent down there.
0: Um, So it's not your neighbor's feet. It's the cheese (laughs) menu. It's the cheese. It is
1: definitely the cheese menu. Oh, so you hope. Um, But it is so cozy, and you can really while away a few hours in the afternoon there, which I suggest getting there in the afternoon, because by six o'clock when people are leaving work, it is rammed, and you will not get to table. And the
2: two most perfect things about Gordon's is that if it's a cloudy, Inclement weather sort of typical London day. It's just as cozy if not cosier than a pub. If you get a table inside and on a nice day, they have this beautiful long strip of tables that runs alongside the river with heating and they're open twenty uh sorry, they're open year round, these tables. They have all these heating lamps, and it's just such a like the most perfect place to park yourself for hours and just have bottles and bottles of wine.
0: So I love I mean I didn't even tee this up, but I feel like Erin read my mind. I was gonna I wanted to steer us on to talking about coziness. You know, the Danish have hygge I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. But I think the British have their own version of Hugger, that kind of cosy pubishness, mm. which is very much a London experience, quite a community communal thing. We're talking about London right now, end of November. What's London like in the winter? Do are we seeing Hardcore Twinkle everywhere? <laughs> is this you know? I feel like hard, I feel like someone has copyrighted that name, and the drag queen who's called Hardcore <laughs> Twinkle will say, "I can't believe you stole my name." My <laughs> like, Get off my turf! I apologize. Any drag queen called Hardcore Twinkle. Tell me, ladies, what do we do in the winter in London to make the most of it?
1: I will say that I think there is a common misconception among Americans that London is incredibly cold in the winter, and it is not. It is nowhere near as cold as the east coast of the US. That is true, but it is grey. Yeah, but it's grey all year round. (laughs) Right.
0: July, (laughs) January. Apart from the beautiful like one month of summer London gets. No, I'm just... no i agree with you i think that there's something you don't have to worry about wearing a balaclava to get between buildings it will be crisp but in that lovely dickensian Mm -hmm. everything all the lights will be on and you'll see your breath a little bit
3: just going back to ice rinks, mm-hmm. because we all know we how good to? we are. Do we have to? We're I mean, such this is sensational skaters. But they do have a very picturesque one by the Natural History Museum. And the Natural History Museum is one of London's prettiest buildings. So mm-hmm. firstly, you can go into the hall and see the huge Tyrannosaurus Rex. I hope it's still there. I took my daughter recently and I have a feeling he was being cleaned he'll come back he'll come back he'll return there's nowhere else for him to go (laughs) exactly he's he's (laughs) having a cleanse he'll be back cleanse tone to moisturize um so you've got the the beauty of that building there uh, and then the ice rink and then just around the corner is the science museum and i would recommend you going there a because the science museum is amazing but b they have a fantastic museum shop so that instead of buying all the normal crap that you buy you know plastic and stuff that doesn't work and stuff that you find everywhere all of the loot that they have in there is really thoughtfully curated and you can end up buying kind of helicopters made out of matchsticks that you have to build yourself And so it's fun and inventive and a good little nook of London so that's,
0: I think that's, I, I think that this, I, I love the Science Museum shop as well, actually. What I love about London is the Christmas lights over Oxford Street and Regent Street, which when I was growing up in London, I didn't realize were specifically, I thought every city just had lights over the shopping streets. And the fact that now, I mean, yes, they'll be sponsored, so you might have to squint a little so it isn't too branded. But I think that is a twinkly gorgeous glimpse of London. I'm getting quite a flat effect in the room am I? I? Because of the because of the sponsorship. But if you squint and you're a little too far away they just don't or, even... or
3: if you've had the 35 martinis we discussed earlier <laughs> then then <laughs> they're really yeah. great. Yeah. In
0: your sequin pants you've had your martinis <laughs> you're strolling down Regent then Street then you're on your Boris bike. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> on top what of else
0: the world. But, so what do we do in London that coziness? What's a re- how do you tell a real pub? Can you go into any pub in the city say and do you think there'll be British people in there or are there sort of like tourist zone pubs what do you think?
2: Oh I reckon any pub you go into in London is filled with British people even if it's a more touristy pub the Brits love their pubs it's a very
3: very genuine side of their culture that people want to tap into when they're there but also I would say something about you know pubs are having a reasonably hard time in the fact that people are choosing to spend their free time in different ways now and people don't drink as much as they used Mm -hmm. to and again coupled with that high street demise that we've been talking Mm -hmm. about But there's something to be said for the pubs that we're not recommending. There's something to be said for the pubs that aren't on any list that you'll find because sometimes you've just got to go into the pub that you come across and looks really dodgy from the outside and you go in and it's got a weird parquet floor and there's an old geezer Mm -hmm. who doesn't fit into his shirt and then he's selling a weird sausage and he's got some old mead on tap because, because that's really, for me as much part of the culture as the shishi gastro puppy ones. I, I feel
2: g- like you've just described the north london pubs that I was telling you <laughs> before like, the, or the is real I washed call up it sex <laughs> punk.
1: <laughs> and when I think of a pub I don't even really think of the really shishi gastro pubs at this point. Mm. They're their own sort of Secret. Creature. Yeah. creature. And Lale I
2: and I have had this conversation before it's like to ask somebody, okay, what is the best pub in London is such an impossible question because there's no, there's really no such thing. And it's much more about like a feeling and a vibe. And also, it's very geographic. I mean, you don't cross town to get to a specific pub. Mm-hmm. Pub is by definition a local place that you want to be in. So don't try and seek out mm-hmm. something that isn't there when you're thinking about pub culture. Just kind of in like go with,
1: the, go with the pub, right? I agree, and I think sort of a sign of a really good pub is if you walk in there on the Sunday and it sort of feels like everyone's living room and people have their newspapers and they have the dog and they have their kids and it's just sort of a free-for-all of people doing what they'd probably do in their house, but they're doing it over a pint and a, and a roast, ideally instead
0: sunday roast you see sunday that roast. i think that's a very british experience that is a lovely thing to be part of because british people do have a sunday roast in the pub so if you're going to a pub and probably make a reservation if you if you're nervous because they'll be busy people will go and have their roast beef there read the paper sunday newspapers in britain i must admit to i've been here for 20 god years. I, miss I miss them so oh. much oh stop they are it's sunday new the, like just a pile, pile. of them. Mm-hmm.
3: My husband like, pulls his hair out. I'm like, I want all of them. He mm-hmm. said, you can't have all of them on every single one highbrow lowbrow everything in the middle oh god you've forgotten the supplements go back get them out Oh, the supplements are the best part yes and you take so them so out of their if little pool
0: the Erin is just Pong looking supplement. at us slightly in despair <laughs> like those means. crazy British people but. but again if you were in Britain at the, if you were in London at the weekend buy the papers because I think the papers are a great treasure of Britain and buy a left wing one buy a right wing one they declare their biases very clearly so the truth is somewhere in the middle but boy they're fun to read it is
1: the great newspaper capital of the world that is indisputable and it is fun just to walk into a news agent and just look at all the headlines of the tabloids mm.
0: <laughs> the puns that it's those it's people they puns. put me to shame so one last thing before we wrap i want to talk a little bit about the last time when london, we were talking about london we were terribly remiss because we didn't touch on culture in any way i mean we it's were quite the, revealing <laughs> <really>. <laughs> exactly. we're the biggest luddites if you listen to that episode so i really want to redress that now When we think about culture, obviously there's the Science Museum, the Natural History Museum, the British Museum, some higher profile things. But what great cultural assets does London have that you wish more people went to? I know, Erin, you have a look at... at I think, and Standout. I have the same one as you.
2: Yeah, the John Soane Museum. It's so amazing. It's this amazing house museum just off Russell Square. And this guy, Sir John Soane, he was an architect and an academic and an intellectual. And he was really into antiquities. And this museum are just all of his findings from sort of Greek antiquities and Egyptian antiquities. He's got Italian paintings. And all of these just the most incredible collection of a lifetime worth of exploration is inside... This I think it's about three stories. It's not terribly big, but it's incredibly well curated, and it's fun and it's fascinating and it's kooky. And it's best Marie way.
0: Kondo's worst nightmare. I mean, it's essentially oh, it's one hundred percent,
2: but it's fabulous. a rich
0: person's hoarding collection of very fabulous things. But if you are someone who's a bit of a minimalist, I think it might stress you out. I love it, but it truly or it's like the inside of what I imagine it's, Elton John's mind exactly. looks like. Exactly. It's
2: like the inside of a crazily brilliant man's mind and like how he manifested that Elton through John. Elton, <laughs> Elton John. John through his explorations and what he gathered along the way of his life.
3: It's funny, actually, you mentioned Elton John because one of the most recent exhibitions, and I don't know if it was still on, is Elton John's Black and White Photography at Tate Modern. And it's unbelievable, his collection. and um, from however many years ago, and literally rooms and rooms plastered with iconic photography, and I had no idea he was a collector.
0: And how do you, what do you think, the Tate Modern obviously, real landmark <laughs> for London, but just got expanded enormously. The extension for the Tate Modern has given it a lot more performance spaces, so it's allowed them to do way more programming that isn't just visual art, and that makes it quite exciting to go in the evenings and to see what's on. I would say, to go back to Marylebone and to bring it all in nicely in a bow, I would send people to the Wallace Collection, which I think is overlooked and weirdly convenient, because it's just behind Selfridges, and it is a bit like the Frick here in New York, where it feels like someone's home and their collection that you are just browsing very politely. And it's a glimpse of a wealthy, I think it's sort of 1700s, 1800s, British person's mansion.
1: Yeah? Um, No, but I think one thing that we haven't pointed out, which I think is one of the best things about London, is that all the major museums are free, unless you're going to see a permanent exhibition. And which is why one of my favourite shortcuts to take in London is to cut through the British Museum. Just because there's like a back door to the museum and then there's the main entrance and you can just go through as, as you're walking through the neighborhood and just like walk among these amazing things for like 10 minutes and then be on your way. You don't have
0: to make a big commitment. You can do a 10 minutes exactly. drive by, look at something amazing, wander back out. And no, you can come okay. back
1: later that afternoon or later
3: the week. My favorite museum in London, again, is kind of bite-sized and you can't believe it exists. It's called the Grant Museum of Zoology. And um, I happened upon it by chance. And I think it's on a kind of street somewhere in Bloomsbury. And inside, I don't know if you remember, I think it was in an Indiana Jones movie in which there's a room. It's like a library with a creaky floor and creaky cupboards and creaky doors filled with slightly dusty specimens from the deep from the forests, from and uh, uh, including things you just you can't even believe. Including is when you walk in, it's all piled high on top. A turtle on top. Old of Old specimen, sort of Darwin yes, era. Dar- it feels like Darwin era it's skeletons and jellyfish and pickled things in pickled jars. And when you walk in, the first thing you see is a jar of moles, and it literally is a jar of moles with all their
0: little feet. I feel that this is a bit of a, the stuff of nightmares. It feels like a bad episode of Doctor Who. Can
3: I just say it's completely mesmerising? And whenever I'm at a loose end, I, I take my youngest daughter, particularly because it isn't ordered and it isn't structured. And almost all the naming of everything you can tell has been done by someone on a dodgy old typewriter in the corner, <laughs> with the with the ink is practically you know not working anymore. But you will see stuff in there that you just you can't believe as your eye adjusts to it, and it's in one room and it's like something from a different time and a different place, and it's utterly transporting.
0: Goodness, Lolly, oh, was, got another you're museum. on the roll now, aren't
3: you? I was gonna say, uh,
1: another all-time favorite of mine, which I think is a favorite of many Londoners and visitors alike, is the V&A. Um, it's just absolutely gorgeous when you walk in, and they have just opened a new photography wing And they've pummeled a lot of money into it, and it's supposed to be really fantastic. And they've timed it with the opening of the V&A in Dundee, up in Scotland. So I'm really excited to go see See, that when I'm
0: home. I I always think of the V&A as a museum that even un-museum people will love.
2: I agree completely because of what they have inside of it. I, I think if you don't consider yourself a museum person you'll still like the V&A. I totally agree. The with costume you. collection. It's yes. incredible. It's Bec- not done. Because there's such a human element to things like the costume collection, the fashion. I, people, even if you're not wearing those things, you relate to it in a way that you don't relate to a painting. That's why I think those types
1: of museums are so incredible. And they have like a real breadth of exhibitions as well because it's where they had the David Bowie exhibition. It's where they had the Alexander McQueen one when it moved to London. Um, but it's also where they've had like Deanne Arbus and and other, like, very well known artists and photographers be exhibited too. So, it's really, it's sort of for all.
0: Oh, it's superb. Yeah. It's really, it manages to show how high important culture doesn't have to be alienating it's super smart but boy it's fun and you go in and you see an Elizabethan corset and you realize that's 500 mm-hmm. years old and it's impossible to not be mesmerized I would you know I, I would challenge anyone not to find that anyway I want to pull us to close. Thank you so much ladies for our London brain dump. Um, I hope we inspired everyone's trips. Please, all of you listening, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, visit us at cntraveler.com. And please rate us on iTunes. It does help others to find us. I want to say thank you for the five-star reviews to Mel Stern, who was planting garlic for 11 hours and listened to a deep dive of Travelog. I'm thrilled, but I also, how much garlic were you planting? Please tweet me and tell me. Maybe he's got
3: vampires in his garden. I was was going to say,
0: preparation for Halloween. It sounds like
1: a test of resilience. Eleven hours of us.
0: (laughs) well done which episodes did you listen to and do you still want to listen to us I hope five stars and Lee3127 who told us it feels like I'm sitting down with a bunch of friends which was a lovely Aww, one of isn't so that a lovely nice. I thought that was one of the loveliest reviews because we do all quite like each other Look, we've
3: actually we've got a, a chair for Lee here yeah. as well we, you can't <laughs> see but there's an Keeping empty seat for you.
0: <laughs> and we would if only you were here we have just celebrated our three year anniversary of travelogue so we do have a huge back catalogue for you to go through and enjoy whether you've got an 11 hours of garlic planting to do or not please follow us on all the platforms you know Twitter, Facebook everything we are Condé Nast Traveller on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveller on Instagram we want your feedback we love it we're getting lots of tweets we love your feedback can you tell everyone Erin how do people get in touch with you
2: um, I am at Erin
3: underscore Florio on Instagram and Laleh. you can find me at Lale Hannah on Instagram and Melinda and Instagram too I'm Melinda L P
0: and Melinda with one L.
3: Yes, M-E-L-I-N-D-A-L-P.
0: And I do also want to give a shout out to Women Who Travel, who, which is our other podcast that Lale helps mastermind with Meredith. Uh, what have you got coming up on Women Who Travel?
1: Ooh, our latest one is about to go up. And we sat down with the writer Kate Harris, who just wrote a memoir about riding a bicycle along the Silk Road f- for 10 months. Goodness. She has crazy stories
0: that will be amazing i can't wait to hear it please if you haven't subscribed to that please add that to your queue i just want to say thanks to meredith carey who is the our lead podcast producer and in whose hands i think you'll be next week Uh, our engineer as ever is the magic knob twiddler brett fuchs thank you brett thumbs up and uh, have a great weekend everyone